Thank all of y'all for braving the rain to come out tonight. We're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 5, if y'all would like to turn over there. I'm not real sure why the Lord took me in this direction, but it was very clear that this was what he wanted me to speak on tonight. He started out uh, pointing me in this direction Thursday and never really stopped. And yesterday, as I was preparing the messages for today, um, he kept me pretty steady in this for tonight's um, service. Tonight we're going to be talking about marriage, and in particular we're going to be talking about the chain of command, or what it really is, the chain of responsibility in our families. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, and we're going to start in verse 21. It says, well, let's start, let's back up to verse 20. It says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in fear of God, in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives of their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and wife see that she reverence her husband. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the privilege we have of worshiping you and studying your word and we don't have to hide it Lord we thank you that you have given us details and instructions in your word how we're to live every aspect of our life that's important we ask that you just give us guidance and wisdom speak through me and guide me speak your word to those here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, that's <clears throat> something that uh, we talked about a little bit this morning, but I didn't cover a whole lot of it. How many of you know that anything that's important in your life has been talked about in the Word of God? Now, some of the things that you won't find in the Word of God is where to do your shopping or what football team to vote for, or if hunting 
if deer hunting is better than rabbit hunting, but we've all got our preferences. But the things that matter, the things that's going to matter in your life are in the Bible. Now, if Brother Israel was here, he might disagree with me on the football teams because he's a pretty strong Alabama fan, and he might take to heart if I told him that it wasn't important which football team he rooted for. But that's the truth of the word of the Lord, and I think he would back me up on that. But one of the things that we seem to struggle with sometimes are, is the way the Lord laid out marriage. Um, what I have come to find, though, is if we do marriage God's way, we have a lot better marriage. We have a lot stronger family. But there is a clear way that it's laid out. How many of you know that marriage is a direct reflection of our relationship with Christ? That's something that I have come to know intimately in my relationship with my wife Nine times out of ten, if I was struggling somewhere in my relationship with my wife, I was also struggling in that particular spot with the Lord. It seemed like that was everywhere. But the thing that I guess really tears us up right now is that culture is wanting to redefine a lot of words that God set in place. Culture is wanting to redefine marriage. They're, wanting, they're doing that by redefining the words involved with marriage. Now, this is not the first time that the culture has tried to do this. They've tried to redefine the word tolerance. Now, tolerance no longer means you tolerate something. Tolerance means you have to approve of it. You have to support it. You have to get behind it. That's not what the word tolerance means. They also want to redefine the word hate. They want to define hate as your unwillingness to support or condone bad behavior that's going to be harmful in their lives. Now that is deemed as hatred if you don't approve of something. But two words that affect marriage that they have, that the world has been trying to redefine for hundreds of years are the word submission and the word rule, rule or ruling. You see, the simple fact is God created marriage, so God gets to decide how marriage is built. He lays out his plan for marriage in Ephesians 5. Now one of the things that I want to point out in verse 32 is it says this is a great mystery but I speak about concerning Christ and the church. You see, up until Christ came to earth, we probably didn't have a real clear idea of what marriage was all about. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there was times that a man's relationship with his wife was put out as a, an example of God's relationship with Israel, but it had never been as intimate as it was after the appearance of Christ. And then Paul gave us the outline, you know. Um, marriage is probably the most powerful teaching tool that the Lord ever made to teach us how to have a relationship with him. He repeats much of this in Second Peter, or 1 Peter 
chapter 3, which is what we've been discovering on Wednesday night. Here we also discover that our relationship in our marriage can have a direct uh, effect on our relationship with God. If we leave emotion and world's bad influence out of it, when we look at it, what we have is a simple chain of command. And like I said, it's actually a chain of responsibility. You have Christ, then you have the man, then you have the woman. But what I got to looking at in this was you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3 to find out where this was all set up. So this evening I want to go back in Genesis and I want to look at the origins of marriage. We're going to actually start in chapter 1 and verse 26. Because I think it's very important for us to see how this all got set up. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 said, says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth on, upon the earth. Now one of the things that I want you to see there is have dominion over. The other word that I want you to look at real closely is them. As we read through, God said he created man, and he said him. When he said he created them male and female, he said them. So them, male and female, was given dominion over the entire earth. When God created man and, women, man and woman, he did not create a hierarchy originally. They both had dominion over the earth. Now the interesting thing about the have dominion over is the have dominion is also means rule. But what I have found, and, and I love this, I told Lace last night as I was studying that I really would like to learn Hebrew because there are so many beautiful things that you can get by looking at the original Hebrew that you don't get in the English language because the Hebrew Language has so many different words for something that we would use one word for. And like love, for example, now there's brotherly love, there's unconditional love, there's the agape love that the Lord loved us with. That's also the case here with the word rule. In this particular place, have dominion over means to subjugate. It's... Uh, referencing like a wine press, pressing down and taming something, conquering it, okay? That's going to be important here in a little while because as we go on through in chapter 3, man falls. Now if you'll turn over to chapter 3, we're going to read through the fall 
because there's a couple of things that I want to point out there. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said that ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden, of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, ye shall not touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired, and to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now one of the things that I want to point out there, and it's something that uh, we've talked about in our men's group, if you'll look at chapter, if you look at verse 6, it says that the woman gave also unto her husband with her. He was there. This was not the serpent got Eve off by herself and tricked her, and then Eve went running to her husband to trick him. This is the misconception that a lot of people have about this particular scenario. Adam was standing right there watching it happen, and he didn't say anything. Apathy is not a new sin. And men have got to stand up and understand that they have a responsibility. They have been set apart. They have been held responsible for not being apathetic. So both of them ate of the fruit. Then when the Lord came along and they heard the voice of the Lord, verse 8, the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now how many of you know that the Lord knew they had already ate that tree. He didn't have to have that answered. What he was looking for was confession. You see, this is the perfect example of the way we operate in sin. The first thing we do after we sin is to run hide from God. Then when God comes knocking, the only way we're going to get through this is by confession. But look at what Adam says. He said, I, And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So God came looking for Adam because Adam was ultimately responsible, but Adam blamed Eve and kind of threw in a slanted barb at God because he gave him Eve. 
and then Eve blamed the snake. What this reminds me of is when something gets broke at the house while mom and dad's home, while mom and dad's gone, and then dad comes in, and one kid points to the other kid and said, they made me do it, and then that kid points to the other kid and said, well, he made me do it. And then what usually happens is what happens right here. First of all, nobody was in charge. Adam and Eve was equal. Nobody was in charge. And it all played out like this. So when nobody was in charge, everybody's blaming everybody. God punished all three. He starts with the snake, and he moves back all the way back up to Adam. And at this point, God sets up the chain of command, the chain of responsibility. From now on, God says, Adam, when I come looking for the one who's responsible, I'm coming for you. As you'll see in uh, verse 16, he says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be, which means subject to, thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So God has just set up the chain of command. Now the wife comes under the husband. Tony Evans describes this probably the best that I've ever heard. He said a wife putting herself in subjection to her husband is nothing more than her ducking so God can punch her husband in the face. Now if you don't want to put yourself in subjection, just get ready to take the lick that your husband was supposed to get. So <clears throat> the other thing that I want to point out here is the word rule. Again, we have this word rule. The first time we saw it was when, we, uh, when they had dominion over everything. And what we saw there was the word redu, which was subjugation. That's not what's given this time. This time the word is yimsal, which means rule by authority. Now, the first time that that word is, is used, and this, this, if you'll hang with me for just a minute, I'm going to show you something really cool that the Lord showed me last night. Turn back over to chapter 1 and verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. Okay, rule there is not either one of the other two. The sun was given rule, but this rule is called memsalet. This is also used to describe God's sovereign rule. Okay, so we've got dominion, we've got redu, which is subjugation, we've got memsalet, which is God's sovereign rule. Well, verse 18, it says, And to rule over the day and over the night, and divide the light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. That is our third word for rule. It is the same word that is used when God gives rule over woman to man. That is the authoritative rule. 
The thing about authority versus sovereignty is that authority is given. If you want a good example of that, think of the difference between a king and a president. A king has sovereignty because of who he is. A president has authority because it has been given to him by the people. So what the Lord is saying, or what what you see here in this picture, is the sun or the moon by themselves have sovereignty, but in verse 18 when he's talking about collective, the sun and the moon have authority. So what you're getting a picture of I want, I want to paint the picture that's given to you here. You've got the sun's light. We know that the, sun, the moon reflects the sun's light upon the earth. Okay, So during the day, we had the sovereign light of the sun, but at night, we have the authoritative light. We have the reflection of the sun's light on the earth at night or after the fall. So what we're seeing here is how it's supposed to work. The sovereign rule of God has given authoritative rule to man so that through the night after the fall his rule would be established in the woman's life and upon the earth. Man becomes responsible for reflecting God's rule on earth. We have got to get a hold of that, men. We were designed to rule, but we were designed to rule God's way. We were designed to rule by enforcing God's laws and God's rules down here. We are supposed to rule and operate in God's power. Once we step outside of God's rule, then we're ruling in our own power, and we have just given away the authority that has been given to us. So, is that not the picture that we see in Ephesians 5? Let's turn back over there. For a husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Five, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 23. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore the church is subject unto Christ. Let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. So how are we to rule? The simple fact is, according to Ephesians 5, our wife should be closer to God because she's married to us. Look in verse 26 and 27 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So wives, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, that he he that loveth his wife loveth himself. If you are not living your life to bring your wife closer to God, then you are failing as a husband. That is a fact from the word of God. So how are we to bring our 
wives closer to God. Well, he says it. He says you're to bring the, your wife closer to God by loving her as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church by living as an example. Christ loved the church by giving instruction. But Christ loved the church by loving the church with a sacrificial love. And that's something that we don't see anymore. What we see now are a lot of men, if they do rule, if they don't sit back in apathy, they try to go back to the have dominion rule. They, this is not about subjugation. You cannot subjugate your wife. Submission is something that has to be given. You cannot make your wife submit. Your wife has to give her submission to us. So ladies, what happens if your man isn't reflecting God's rule in your life? Well, we're told about that in 1 Peter. If you will, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read through that real quick. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. You know what's going to change your husband? Being a godly wife. That's the only thing that's going to change your husband. That, that's, that's the influence that you can have over your husband is to be a godly wife. Nagging doesn't work. I've watched this in my parents' life quite a bit, not to confess someone else's sin, but I have, I've seen it time and time again. And it's a natural inclination. I understand that. But nagging doesn't work. All it does is breed resentment. And they may submit and eventually do it. But they're just going to be doing it to shut you up. Not because they love you. What happens is they tend to go the other direction. They get bitter and stubborn and mule-headed. Because I know us. I know I'm a man. That's what we do. The more we come up against opposition, the more we want to dig in. The more you pull on that rope, the more we want to sit back on it. That's just the way it is. So if you want to change your husband, be a godly wife. My wife has been very good at this. I have learned to listen to my wife because she's quiet. Because when she disagrees with me, She's going to do it one time, and then I'm on my own. If I listen to her and I sit down, I can get some real good advice. But if I go ahead and do it my way and it turns into a train wreck, it's not going to be her fault. And I have learned over the years that the most valuable counselor that I will ever have in anything outside of the Lord and the Holy Spirit is my wife. And I have learned to listen because she has placed herself in submission to me. Now there's a couple of things that I want to, a couple of questions I want to ask. At any point in this narrative, did the woman become a lesser being? 
at any point in this narrative did man get permission to subjugate his wife? The main thing that we've got to get a hold of here is that we're both following Christ. Christ becomes a constant fixed point in our marriage. God does not change. He is a constant fixed point. If we are moving toward Christ, what happens is we're moving closer to each other. So if we put God first and we're both following Christ, before long we're side by side, stepping step by step, and we're living the life that God intended us to live. That's really all I've got for tonight. That's what the Lord pressed on my heart. I really wish I knew why. But that's what he gave me for tonight's service. Does anybody have anything they'd like to add? I should have put the podium down on the floor. but I know some of you have been in here. Some of you in here has been married a lot longer than I have. I'm sure you've got some insights you could add on this. <laughs>